I'm Katie. And I'm Steve. And this is the City of Reading Podcast. According to a 2015 study of our local homeless population, the average unhoused person costs the City of Reading $66,188 in used medical services, mental health services, and law enforcement calls for service. That same individual, housed, would cost the city just over $11,500 per year. In part three, we talk with Reading Vice Mayor Kristen Schrader, the force behind the homelessness study, and talk about what the city is doing to address the homeless population from the city government perspective. Currently, the Reading City Council is deciding on micro-shelter ordinances that could help provide temporary housing for some of our chronic homeless population. My name is Kristen Schrader, and I'm currently serving as Vice Mayor for the City of Reading. I've been on the Reading City Council for the last six years. I was elected in 2014 and then re-elected in 2018. And I uh, actually was born in Reading, graduated from high school and graduated from Chico State. I moved back to Reading after leaving for a short time with my husband and two children in 1994 and have been involved in the community ever since. And also I work, um, my husband and I help public schools acquire funding to build and renovate schools with state voter approved bond funds. So I'm a grant writer by trade. Fantastic. Thank you, Kristen. And Kristen, what would you say is your view of homelessness in Reading right now? Homelessness is always a problem in any community that we're in. And um, I think there's oftentimes people say that every community you read newspaper articles and then they think their problem of homelessness is worse than anybody else. But for every community, it, it's a it's a problem. And it's a problem for the people who are personally experiencing it. And the key to any homeless problem in any community is finding the right solutions and connecting the solutions to the people who are homeless and doing it in a way that is recognizes evidence-based programs and ideas and uh, solutions that, that work. And that's where the, there's a lot of misunderstanding about why people are homeless, who are homeless, and what some solutions are. And so I think the best thing for us to do as a community is to better understand who are homeless. How did they become homeless? Like, for example, oftentimes studies have shown that maybe 30 or 40 percent of people who are homeless have substance use issues or mental health issues. But you have to know what is the uh, reasons people are homeless to be able to find the solutions that fit what is causing people to be homeless and really address the root causes. And the main thing is people should always remember the solution for homelessness is housing, but it has to be connected. You have to connect people to the services that they need to help them get on a better path that you know, results in them being able to stay connected into permanent housing, you know, whether it's starting in transitional housing to permanent housing. So it's, I think the best thing that we can do in writing is to better understand who our homeless population are, whether it's youth, chronic, homeless, or veterans, and then look at what the causes of the, those people becoming homeless are, and then find the solutions and the housing that, that fits their needs. And I understand that you've been working on this issue specifically for quite some time in Reading. Can you give us a little bit of your background or why this issue is so important to you and kind of what what you have been exploring around this in the Reading community? Well, thanks for asking. You know, I actually started looking at it more closely when I was running for office in 2014. And at that time, a lot of the news articles that were appearing in our local press and, and nationally, but mostly at local talked a lot about the displacement of people, 
homelessness, criminal activity as it relates to um, AB 109. And so there, are a lot, there was a lot of conversation that overlapped, you know, like we were greatly impacted by AB 109. We were one of the last counties to address the realignment requirements for local incarceration. So then it looked like, well, we were having also a lot of problems with homelessness and it seemed like, well, let's find out what really is going on. What are, what's actually happening? Who are homeless? How many people are homeless? So I actually held a workshop in August of 2014 while I was running for office to help gather some of that information because I didn't know it. And I personally researched with everybody I can reach out to and then had a workshop during lunchtime in August. And then in November, I was elected to office. And then by February of 2015, I started doing a deeper dive into the city and county responses and their programs that were implementing solutions for homelessness. As a result, I then raised money to hire a consultant to come to our community with outside perspective and also expertise on what are some of the solutions. So I had held several workshops in our community that were attended by over 100 people in some cases. We developed a strategic plan. I also did, I hired them to calculate what the cost is of being of homelessness. So that if you, some people say, well, let's not do anything. You know, let's just let people be on the streets. But there's a cost to that. And it actually costs more. If someone is on the street and they're chronically homeless, they oftentimes use a lot of services. They would be in the emergency room. They may, may need to be calls for service from the fire department or from the police department. And so all that costs money. And so we did the best of the consultant we hired actually came up with a calculation of what that is based on a model of a study they did in Santa Clara. And so at the time, this is 2015 data for tw- I reported in 2016. It cost $66,188 for a high utilizer, somebody who cycles in and out of emergency room, medical care, and um, calls for service. And they compared that to what would be the cost to actually house somebody with supportive services. And the cost was at that time estimated to be $11,500. So we would be saving, you know, $50,000 per person conceptually on, you know, implementing more housing that's using supportive services to help people get their life stabilized and into a better path. That's, that's really interesting, Chris. And I, I mean, to that point, so obviously that was in 20, 2015, it sounds like some great data was gathered and some great information was, was discovered and a potential plan was addressed to move forward. What, what's happened since then? I mean, would you say that the homeless, homelessness situation in Reading has improved as a result of, of that effort or is it kind of a, a work in progress? I mean, where, where are we today? Well, you know, things are improving. There's a main components of implementing solutions for homelessness is one, you need to have data. You need to know who are who are the people we're dealing with and the numbers of people. What is the magnitude of it? And one of the pl- first places that you would start that we're doing a better job at in our community, but it's taken the last several years to get here, is we need an intake system. It's called coordinated entry system so that everyone in the community uses the same referral intake process that evaluates people based on their questionnaire, evaluates people on their vulnerability, what are their personal health needs, and what's creating the situation for them that are causing them to be homeless, and how acute is that? And so when you prioritize the people who are the most vulnerable, and what uh, other communities have done is they use a by name list and they clearly identify those are the most important people that need to be served as soon as possible. 
That information can go into a database, HMIS, Homeless Management Information System. Then what, after you know what their needs are, then you can find the solution of supportive services, which is the counseling, the mental health services, the uh, medical help that they might need or job training. They might need uh, help with making better financial decisions. So after you know what their needs are, you through agencies like Hill Country or Shasta County Health and Human Services, Shasta Community Health Center, who have outreach. And outreach is actually at the very beginning is one of the most important things that we need to improve on is going out into the community and the streets, the camps, and reaching out more to the people who are homeless than doing the intake, entering that information into data. And then then the last part that we need, probably most important, is the housing. You know, and every community is struggling with what is the amount of housing we have that's affordable for people who are literally moving in off of the street. So one of the keys in, um, in that continuum is looking at maybe transitional housing, having someone who has been living in, in a camp, in a tent, or just even in a car or on the street, the best way for them to transition to permanent housing is in transitional housing. Their lifestyles are, that's one of the things that the city council is looking at with the micro shelters, for example. I have a question about transitional housing because there are some members of the community who may not fully understand what that is. Is that short-term housing with, you know, stipulations and rules saying that, you know, you can live here for so long and these, you know, five things have to happen and then you can move on? Or is it is it kind of group or collective housing where there is some mental health or some medical services there kind of on site? Can you help define what transitional housing looks like? Transitional housing can have a se- several different components, but the most important thing is it's not permanent. A good example would be the micro shelters that the city has is in the process of re- reviewing the a proposed ordinance. And you wouldn't live in a micro shelter of 85 square feet for long term. I mean, some people might choose to do that, but in the interest of time, space, money, having someone changed from living in a camp, in a, a tent, or even you know less structure, is to have them move into transitional housing, and it is temporary. It's pretty minimal, you know. I mean, it's it's better than where people are living now, and it's not for everybody. It's not one size fits all, and there could be candidates who fit better and there's people who it might not work out for and but there's going to be standards and uh, guidelines that will all need to be adhered to that are all laid out in the ordinance but it also anytime those programs should be or are planned to be implemented is you connect the person who is moving off this off the street with the services they they need to get up onto a better path in their life, to get more help with their medical care, help with mental health, substance use. So it is designed with plan in mind to transition them and provide that service so that they get the treatment that they need. So then they become more stable, then housing helps them. So you need to have somebody in a more stable circumstance housed with a roof over their head so that the treatment will be easier to access. And then the idea is you always have a plan working with the person, you know, how are we going to move them to a more permanent housing situation? And that could also be supported by, you know, housing choice vouchers that the city and the county have available that prioritizes people who are homeless. And just to clarify on the micro shelters piece, which we should 
um, go into more detail about, but the city's role right now is just reviewing micro shelter ordinances. So the city of Reading wouldn't actually be running any of these micro shelters. It's just reviewing the ordinance to have these in Reading. And then those would be run by nonprofits or churches or third parties. And then I would imagine at that point, whoever decides to set up the micro shelters would have their own kind of set of rules or um, situational things that they would put in place with their micro shelters. Is that kind of how this, this is working? Yes. So when you're, when we're talking about the solutions for homelessness and where Reading, the city of Reading fits in is the micro shelter project. What happened is the state of California amended or revised their building code requirements in particular to address this crisis which they call a shelter crisis declaration, that if that's made by a city or a county, then you can use a new appendix in the building code that then defines what these micro shelters, these very small living quarters would be required to meet a certain criteria. And that idea really came to uh, my attention by Laurel Park a community member who has been researching these kinds of projects in other communities and brought a model of a micro shelter to Reading. And it was constructed actually at California Heritage Youth Build Academy. Students actually constructed the micro shelter. And she is working with a team of very committed community members who are looking at how to build the micro shelter community, build, you know, a three unit community. And the students would are currently constructing samples of these micro shelters. So I really want to give acknowledgement to very hardworking community members that are led by Laurel Park and a great team of people who really brought this to our attention, my attention. And we then brought it to the city council to then have staff research and you know, look at what could be done. And that's the city's role is, is in enabling the the existence of these micro shelters as defined in state building code. And then the city, city council would be asked to then approve these projects once the ordinance is approved. And then each application that would be created by a nonprofit working to provide the facility, someone would provide the supportive services, and we need a location that meets the criteria that's included in the ordinance. But the whole point is that any project, the person is agreeing to criteria that, you know, they have to do an intake. There's an evaluation of what their needs are and see if it's a good fit. And then the nonprofit the organization that's in charge um, is responsible for the oversight and making sure that things are done safely. So city is really creating this opportunity by taking action at the city council level. Yeah, I think that's really important to say that, that it might not work out for everybody. Can you tell us what the current options are for the homeless in Reading as they stand right now today? That's a good question. Well, one of the first options that we're uh, fortunate to have is the Good News Rescue Mission. So it is the only emergent, really the only emergency shelter that we have in Reading. And um, they see, I think it's 2,000 unduplicated people a year. And they also do provide services and they have programs, you know, for women and families. So they have a lot of programs that they offer and they have the shelter, you know, and program for feeding people. But it's not, it doesn't fit everybody either. Then there's a lot of uh, nonprofits 
like Hill Country, you know, that are actively working with case managers. But we have, you know, organizations like Shasta Community Health, the county, are doing outreach with people, getting them into many different types of housing. We've used under the Governor Newsom's plan, we had Project Room Key, which was taking people who were could have been vulnerable to COVID and moving them, transitioning them into um, paying for hotels. Well, that made a lot of sense. If you think about it, well, you're, they might, they get in there and they like, wow, this is pretty good. Maybe I'll want to transition to the next step, you know, something like a micro shelter and then to a permanent housing. So that was a good idea. And then that, tra- that program is transitioning to Project Home Key, which is, you know, providing funding for more permanent type housing. Uh, Access Home is a great organization that is providing housing for a variety of populations that are homeless or that are needing affordable housing. And, and the city of Bakersfield has experienced some recent success in, in coming up with certain solutions to best assist their homeless population. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that might be a good, good model for Reading to explore? Thank you for asking. Uh, yes, several of us in the community received several emails from community members who read a recent article about Bakersfield. And the title of the article is about they had reached functional zero with chronic homelessness. So what we did was a couple of us did outreach and we've had two conversations with the leadership in Bakersfield to learn what they did. And so what they did was they outlined the issues of homelessness or the populations of homeless in their community. And they decided to focus on chronic homeless. And they used a model that's a nationwide model called community solutions that are advising them. And the key areas where they have really ramped up their work is they're using the coordinated entry, the, the referral system, to find out who they are. They, they targeted chronic homeless. They said they thought they had 300 people who met the definition of chronic homeless, but it was really only 70 or 80 people. And you put them on a by name list that you identify one person and you work on that person until they're housed. And you work down the list. And so they took it down and they have to be functional zero. I think you have to have less than three people homeless in the category that you chose. The key that they also did too was they reached out to the landlords and they got them more engaged. So it's the combination of addressing the needs of the people where they're at, identifying the most at risk people, and then finding the housing and working with landlords to provide as much housing as they, you know, more housing that they had had before. And doing it in a collaborative way across all agencies, the city and the county, forming a leadership team that then um, administers the pro, you know, oversees the projects and the programs that they have through a nonprofit leadership executive team. And so on that note, given that you have your eye on everything that's kind of going on in our community, is there hope for Reading that we could get to a functional zero? Yes, I think there is, because we have all of the tools. We have the same tools that Bakersfield has. Um, what we what we're working on achieving is using them better, becoming more collaborative, uh, working to address some of the common failures of systems that we've learned about from Bakersfield and also learning from other communities like Bakersfield or working with community solutions that help provide us the assistance, the technical assistance on what are some of the major stumbling blocks everybody has and how they overcome them to achieve better outcomes for people who are at risk. 
So I think there is hope. And especially with our micro, micro shelter project, I think I'm seeing more positive things happen in the last year than I have in the last six years. The more things are coming together. And the, and the other thing I'll say too, is the state is providing more funding than they have ever provided before. And the federal government, I'm just reading two articles yesterday, are developing projects, programs to provide funding for rental assistance and, and building more housing. So, I mean, that that's one of, one of the keys is having more housing. I think it's the most exciting time of working on this in this area. And I think others who are working on it are equally as excited to learn more from Bakersfield or, or Community Solutions and then use those tools we already have to a better, you know, a better outcome. As a reminder, we are really looking for community feedback for this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for episodes, please email us at podcast at cityofreading.org. We'd love to hear from you and incorporate those questions into future episodes. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you.